Welcome to episode 45 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, what are those last-minute things that you need right before a trip? Believe it or not, there are five pre-trip incidentals that will help you with trip prep. Next on the Summit Gear Review, we review a tent that we purchased not once, not twice, but three times. The Backpack Hack of the Week is a simple way to mark up maps without leaving a mess, and we'll wrap up the show with a little trail wisdom from a man with a van. All this and that's about it. Today on the first 40 miles. Well, exactly a year ago today, I was starting out on my very first backpacking trip. The one where I had the gear, the map, the vision, a group of people to go with, and that was our trip around Mount Hood. This time we're heading to the Wallawas in the Eagle Cap Wilderness in northeastern Oregon. So last month we got together for a planning meeting. Anyway, we met up at Steve's house and he made his famous dark chocolate brownies. And we all gathered around a table that had a big map on it. And he went over the route with us and showed us exactly where we would be staying and how long and what the mileage was, what the elevation was, some of those key details. But then we started talking about some of the risks of this trip. And one of the big risks on this trip that we all had to kind of come to terms with was we were going to be right across the mountain from an uncontained forest fire. Now, not only does this pose a health risk, you know, a personal safety risk, but it also, it has the chance of impairing views. So a month out from actually going on this trip, we had to figure out if this forest fire was going to be enough to stop us from going on this trip. The fire closure line is right along the ridge, as you mentioned. So on day three of our trip, we are planning on a day hike to summit Eagle Cap. If we do that, we will be standing right on the closure line and looking down on the area that is closed for the fire. So a month ago, of course, we started watching the status of that fire to see was the closure going to grow and we'd be completely blocked out of the trip altogether? Was the fire going to get contained? You know, that would be great. It means there'd be less smoke and less risk of it jumping over the ridge and we'd be okay. And we had to just keep watching. It was 0% contained when we met last month. Right now, while we're recording this podcast episode, it's 75% contained, so that's good news, but it's still not out. We had a similar issue, I mean, not as close to us, but on our Mount Hood hike, there were some fires in Estacada, which ended up kind of not really obscuring our view, but really kind of giving that haunting, smoky view. It was really interesting. There was one day of our hike where... It, it was just very ethereal. I mean, you could just smell the smoke. You could see the smoke. All of the pictures that we took that day had this really interesting look to them because of the smoke coming from that fire. Yeah, with this fire on this specific hike that we're going on 
it's definitely a lot closer and uh, has been burning since the beginning of August. So we had to kind of figure out if we were going to reschedule the trip. And most of us felt, well, I think all of us felt like it was probably going to be fine. One of the things that made me feel a little bit better about the fire that was so close by is that in between the fire and where we would be hiking was this rocky ridge. So in order for the fire to jump, we would have to find some way across that barren, rocky ridge area. And the chances of that were pretty slim. So my comfort level rose. I felt I felt like things were going to be okay. And like we said, the fire has been mostly contained and we'll be going with a little bit cooler temperatures and a chance, slim chance of rain, which in September, I think we can probably up that from slim to probable. We've been watching the weather forecast and the temperatures in that area to get a sense of what it's going to be like. It's so hard when you're sitting at home to really put yourself in the place that you're going to be in when you start hiking. And so it's so hard to just imagine, you know, right now sitting at home and it's going to be like 90 degrees today. And it's so hard to think, okay, next week I'm going to be several thousand feet higher elevation and the high is going to be maybe 60 degrees. The low is going to be in the 30s. It might be freezing at night. So we're trying to really focus on the temperatures that we're going to face and make sure that we've packed the right clothing and the right sleeping gear for the conditions that we'll be in. At the meeting with Steve, I think we also talked about any other risks that we might come into or anything, maybe not just risks, but anything about the terrain, about the area that we'll be in. He said that there is one wet crossing that we'll have to make over a stream or river. He also filled us in on the fact that we will be camping in lots of spots that don't have a lot of trees. So we'll be rather exposed. That's going to affect the sort of weather that we might be exposed to, winds and, and things like that. And also just privacy for finding a place to go to the bathroom and, and those kinds of things. So we uh, have a good picture of what we need to be prepared for by having this meeting with Steve where we kind of talk through the hike and what it's going to be like. When you're preparing for a trip, it's important to have all of the right gear, but there's some gear that you need before a trip that just kind of helps you prepare for the trip. And so we're calling this the top five pre-trip incidentals. These are things that will just help you organize and uh, get ready for the trip. The number one pre-trip incidental is a permanent marker. The classic little Sharpie is great for writing on gear, uh, for labeling all of your plastic bags or food. It just helps to have your things labeled in a way that it's not going to peel off or rub off. So Sharpie markers are perfect for labeling your stuff. The number two pre-trip incidental is Ziploc freezer bags. Now these are the not the cheap ones the good sturdy ones. And between the Ziploc bags and the Sharpie marker, we use those together to sort of compartmentalize some of our things before the trip just to figure out what we were bringing. The Ziploc bags, some of them end up not going on the trip. They just get used pre-trip to sort of organize things and sort things out. We did this a lot with our food. So we made a bag for each day of the week and filled up each of those bags and checked the number of calories, checked the variety, make sure that it's food that we would enjoy and not get tired of. Now in the end, all of that food 
for the most part, came out of the Ziploc bags and went into our food sacks in our packs, just all in one big pile. But it was really helpful to have the Sharpie and the Ziploc bags to kind of sort things out pre-trip. And those can definitely be reused for your next trip. The number three pre-trip incidental is cash. Now, some of this can go with you on the trip. In fact, it's really helpful to have like ones and fives in your pack just in case. Super lightweight. I don't even know what cash weighs. That'd be kind of fun to, <laughs> to weigh it. I mean, I can't imagine it weighing more than a couple, maybe three grams for a dollar bill. Yeah, of course, a, a $20 bill would be a lot more weight. What's the word? <laughs> it would have a better value to weight ratio. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but that's not what we're going for. We're going for usability. And so small denominations of ones, fives, maybe tens are going to be a lot more useful. Right. Especially if you're paying for a campsite or if you just want to pay someone for a ride or, you know, pay for some stack of pancakes at a diner, you know, off the trail, then having the small bills is really helpful. And then coins in the car may be helpful for showers or for vending machines. And I think if you keep a stash of quarters, you're probably good to go. The number four pre-trip incidental is reports. This includes trail reports and weather reports. We've even been looking at fire reports, as we mentioned. A week or two before the trip, we really start watching the weather report for the area where we're going pretty closely. Probably a month or two or even six months before the trip, we're digging into trail reports online, finding write-ups from people who have recently done that trip, or maybe people who did that trip in the past, but it was the same time of year that we'll be doing it. Reading up on what they had to say, feasting on the pictures that they took, getting ourselves excited for the trip, but at the same time, really understanding what the environment is going to be like when we're there. And while you're looking at the reports, see if you can find some kind of printable map, just a small, simple map online to give to your closest living relative or your neighbor so they can know where you're going to be staying, kind of the general area. And the number five pre-trip incidental is baking soda. Now for me, baking soda is something that I bring on the trail, but it also has great uses off the trail. Like if you have gear that has been inadvertently put away damp, which I know none of you would ever do, <laughs> but sometimes it happens. Baking soda is a great way to get rid of odors. And sometimes you don't even know what an odor is. Something just smells awful. And uh, baking soda is it's kind of miraculous. So you can put a paste on, you can shake it on to something and let it sit for a while. Baking soda is really great for just getting rid of some of those just kind of off odors. Before you head out on your trip, be sure to actually take out the things that you're packing, your sleeping bag, your tent. Don't just stuff them right into your pack. Take them out, fluff them up a little bit, smell them, make sure that they have not acquired some odd odor. If they have, then there's your opportunity to use some baking soda to kind of clear things up before you put it in your pack, before you're out on the trail and notice it on your first night of camping. Yeah, I noticed kind of a weird thing. I have this plastic bin that holds our family's camping clothes right now. Just, you know, all the the base layers and things like that. And the plastic bin actually kind of imparts this odd odor to the clothes. So I'm thinking about moving all of those clothes to putting them in maybe a cardboard box somewhere in the house because the plastic just kind of, I think it off gases. I think we need a cedar chest. Oh, 
That's what we need. That would be perfect. It might even offer natural insect repellent protection. So, hey, I love it. That is such a great idea. All right, we'll get on it. <laughs> um, so if baking soda doesn't cut it for you for the weird smells, we have an upcoming episode, I think, in January. It's our evergreen episode where we'll talk about gear maintenance and repair. Well, that wraps up our top five list for pre-trip incidentals. The permanent marker, the zip-top bags, small denominations of cash, reports, including trail reports and weather reports, and baking soda. Today on the Summit Gear Review, we are reviewing the REI Passage 2 tent. So this tent is something that we researched a whole bunch right before our trip last year because we knew we needed a new tent and we needed something that fit in our budget that would just kind of be the perfect perfect match of price, quality, and weight. So I guess we did fudge a little bit on weight. We were just so excited because our last tent was, what, about eight pounds? And so this tent got us down to... Um, I think we dropped almost three pounds on this tent. You, you really can't have all three, but for us, it was a big weight savings. The REI Passage 2 tent has a completely symmetrical rectangular floor, which I felt really gave us the room that we needed. There weren't any odd spaces left over. We really were able to use the entire tent. The floor of the tent is made of a coated nylon taffeta, and if you are gentle with it, it should last a long time. And actually, REI does sell a floor that you can buy separately from this tent. But really, if you're not pitching this tent on craggy, rocky surfaces, you should be okay. Let's talk about that floor a little bit, or they're called footprints. A lot of backpacking tents have this option where, uh, you know, the standard tent comes with uh, sort of the tent itself plus the rain fly. And the rain flies on these tents often are designed to completely cover the tent. So they're not like those uh, cheap camping tents you get at the big box store that has the little, you know, the rain fly that looks like a yarmulke on top. These backpacking tents have rain flies that completely cover the tent. Well, that opens up an option. You can buy an additional what's called a footprint, which is basically just a nylon tarp with grommets in the corners. And you could actually leave the tent at home. You could take the poles, the rain fly, and this lightweight footprint to do what's called a fast pitch method on your tent. And you'll save a couple pounds of weight by doing that. So the REI Passage 2 tent has that option available. And you don't have to buy the footprint that goes with the tent. You can also bring your own footprint or your own tarp and cut it to size or just use what you have. But that is a really neat option. It's almost like two tents for the price of one. If you know the conditions that you'll be in and you kind of know what your comfort level is as far as pitching a just a fly versus an entire tent, then uh, that's a really neat option. This is considered a double-walled tent, which means that you pitch the tent and then you have this rain fly that completely covers it. That helps reduce condensation. So the main tent has mesh, so it's breathable. You have a lot more um, ventilation inside the tent. The condensation tends to happen on the rain fly rather than on the inner wall of the tent you know, the wall that you're going to be touching and rubbing up against. If you were just to pitch that rain fly, you would probably wake up the next morning with a little more condensation, depending on how close to the ground you ended up pitching it. 
the more ventilation you have, the less condensation. Yeah, and humidity, of course. And you also have the risk of little little raccoons climbing in, which is why I, I do love the tent. I have not gotten brave enough to just use the fly, but I want to be that person. I want to someday be brave enough to like, if a mouse skittered across my face, I would not totally mentally lose it. So this tent comes with aluminum poles and... This was kind of the biggest surprise for me. If you haven't purchased a new tent recently, the poles go together so smoothly when they're new. It's just one of those lovely moments when you don't have to like cram the poles together and try and get them to fit when they all just kind of pop, 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 pop. These are so much better than the old fiberglass poles. And really, you just kind of hold the pole a little bit and it just pops together. This tent is quite intuitive to put together. And the poles make it so simple. There's just two poles that go with the tent, and you really can't mess it up. For utility, this is a dual-entry tent, which means there are two doors. One on each side. We don't have to crawl one person over the other. And, of course, we store our gear under the vestibule, the, the rain fly. So it's outside of kind of the main compartment of our tent. For that reason, it's really nice to have those two doors. So I'm on my side, I can unzip my door, and there's my gear right there. I, I have full access to it. You can be on the other side of the tent, unzip your door, and have full access to your gear. Yeah, the vestibules, I actually had never heard that term until about a year ago. So you have this space inside the tent that you sleep in, and then you open up the door of the tent, and you have this extra space, kind of like a veranda or a porch. I mean, great for entertaining. You can have people over and it's great. Set out some hors d'oeuvres. It's really kind of this little sheltered area. Inside of the tent, there are pockets in all four corners that will perfectly hold small gear like glasses or your cell phone. Also inside the tent is an overhead removable gear loft, which is a fancy way of saying a mesh sling for your stuff. So it's perfect for throwing your headlamp in to light up the tent. I don't know what else you would throw up there. Usually you just throw a headlamp up there and it, it's the perfect little light. There are also gear loops inside the tent. So if you wanted to clip something to the tent, I don't know, maybe a pair of socks to have them dry out. Or um, usually you just slide your glasses in one of the gear loops. I do. So it's just another storage option in the tent. Since there are no drawers or built-in cabinets in the tent, it's nice to have those little loops and the gear loft and the pockets. You mentioned that it sets up quickly and easily. It's uh, really, it's hard to mess it up when you set up the tent. The rainfly and the tent can get turned around 180 degrees from each other, and it's not really a big deal. It still works. But if you take notice... The, both the tent and the rainfly have a, a tab on each corner where you put the stake through. Three of those tabs are black and the other one is orange. So if you rotate the rainfly around so that its orange tab matches up with the tent's orange tab, then you've got a little bit better zipper alignment between the rainfly and the tent. As we mentioned before, this tent is not the lightest tent in the world, but it was a huge upgrade for us. And we felt really good about the weight that was going to be split up between Josh and I. So the tent is five pounds, five ounces. And when Josh and I split it up, it means we only carry two pounds, 10 ounces each. Packed size is 7.5 by 22 inches. Although when you split it up, 
it's even smaller. I end up carrying the tent and the stakes, and Josh carries the fly and the poles. And actually, I haven't weighed those out separately to see who's actually getting the uh, the better deal on weight. Maybe I should do that. Well, and sometimes, <laughs> and sometimes you carry the tent. Sometimes I carry the rain fly. I mean, it really it doesn't, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And we leave the stuff sack at home. The tent or rain fly just goes right into your pack. For floor dimensions on this tent, it measures out 90 by 54 inches. And Josh mentioned that he puts his pack underneath the vestibule. I have a little bit extra foot room on my side of the tent. And so I put my pack right in the tent. So you can either put it, I mean, depending on how tall you are, you can put it in the tent or keep it out in the vestibule. For maintenance, we used this tent a couple times and then ended up treating it with some really great solar proofing. We used the Nikwax Tent and Gear Solar Proof. It's super easy to apply. It's high performance waterproofing and it has a UV blocker for synthetic fabrics. They actually claim that it can double the effective life of the fabric. Again, two tents for the price of one. When we come home from a trip, we set up all of our tents, usually in the backyard on a nice sunny day. That gets them all dried out and aired out and probably sanitized to some extent by the sun. But the downside is that they are exposed to a lot of UV radiation that just breaks down the fabrics. When you're out backpacking, you're usually under some trees and have a little less sun exposure. So it is helpful to have the Nikwax gear protector on there. You don't want to just set up the tent to dry it out and then leave it out there for days in your backyard. It's going to deteriorate so quickly if you do that. So just get it dry an hour or two, you know, the minimum that it takes, and then pack it away. You can also set it up in your house to dry out if you have a little extra room or if you don't have furniture, <laughs> then um, that's fine too. It also protects it from the sun, so that's another way to dry it out. Another tip for tent maintenance, and this is for any tent that you use is just keep your dirty shoes out. Those shoes just kind of, or the dirt that comes from the shoes really wears away on the fabrics. And that's, you know, with every movement that you make in the tent, that grit is really digging into the fabric. The nice thing about having vestibules is it means that you can leave your shoes under the rain fly so they'll be protected, but they never come inside your tent. And it really does keep things a lot cleaner inside. Well, you can also, to clean out your tent, try the tent over your head trick. This is what Josh does every time. Instead of bringing a little tiny dustpan and a little tiny broom to clean out a tent, you just lift the whole thing up over your head with the door open and you shake it. And this is like with poles in it and everything. Yeah, just take the rainfly off first and put it away. And then just pick up the tent by the poles straight over your head and shake the dirt out. These backpacking tents are light enough that it's super easy to just go ahead and pick the whole thing up like that. It's super impressive. I mean, to see someone pick up something of that size and shake it. Oh, yeah. It's like <laughs> lifting up those fake boulders that they have on sets. It's very impressive. So for this tent, it is $150. If you're an REI member, then you'll get about $15 back next year to spend on some other piece of gear. And speaking of investment, let's compare this tent to some other tents all made by REI. You could spend just $99 to get the REI Camp Dome tent. Now, what are you missing out on for the $99? Well, the weight is about the same, but you're missing the vestibules. 
The rain fly comes out more like an awning on the sides. You've still got two doors, but you just have nothing to protect your gear outside the tent. And when the wind blows sideways and the rain comes sideways, it's going to blow right onto the tent itself. The rain fly is not going to keep you fully protected. So the camp dome is really just a step up from the big box store discount tents that you get for 50 bucks. A lot of people talk about the REI Half Dome tent, which is $200. So we looked real closely at the Half Dome compared to the Passage to really figure out if it was worth the extra 50 bucks for the Half Dome. The weight is about the same. The Half Dome is just five ounces lighter. The Half Dome has a cross pole up on top, so maybe it gives you a little more headspace than the Passage 2, but that's about it. But if you want to keep going up the price scale, then go up to $300 and you can get the Quarter Dome. The Quarter Dome is only 3 pounds 9 ounces, so now you've saved almost 2 pounds over the Passage 2. Go up to $350 to get the REI Dash 2 tent which saves another 10 ounces. Now you're down under three pounds for the whole tent. And that's three pounds for two people. So if you split it up, then you end up carrying a pound and a half. So really price, performance, weight, you can get two of those three. And if you wanna drop the weight, you're gonna up the price. If you're going from a big box store tent down to something just a little bit lighter, this is a really great option because it will cut probably two to three pounds off of what you have in your gear closet right now. And if you've got more money to spend, then go ahead and take a look at those more expensive REI tents that will have the same features that we discussed in the Passage tent, but cut the weight. So for trial, we had a great experience with this tent. We took it on our Mount Hood trip, and we've taken it on every trip that we've been on since then. When we took our family out last November, while we were on that trip, the kids' tent broke. The zipper totally just came undone. And they didn't have a Passage 2 tent. They had, I think it was our old tent. Yeah, it was. That we Did we carry that or did we have the kids split it up? I can't remember. if We split that tent and rainfly and poles and stakes between three kids. So yeah, it started to rain probably around the time that we arrived to camp. Uh, we set up the kids' tent in the rain, and when we reached for the zipper, it totally became separated. The teeth would not go together, and uh, we could not zip up their tent. So we knew that we had to replace the kids' tent, and we decided to go with two more REI Passage 2s and split up the four kids. So we have two per tent, and it's worked out really well. So these three tents take care of our family of six, two of us in one tent, and uh, the kids split up two per tent as well. So who knows, maybe in the future we will upgrade yet again uh, to save further weight, but we feel good with this upgrade that we've made. You know, they're serving our family well. For today's Backpack Hack of the Week, we have a simple way to mark up your map without leaving a lot of mess on your map. And we actually mentioned this in episode eight when we were talking about the Green Trails map. So using washi tape to mark up your map is a great way to make sure that you know where you're going to be. You can mark the mileage, you can mark special features, and then when you're finished, you can peel the washi tape right off. 
Washi tape is a Japanese paper tape, so it's really similar to masking tape, but it's a lot more thin. It also comes in lots of different colors, lots of patterns and designs. You can find some arrow washi tape out there. Arrows are very trendy for some reason, <laughs> and um, that can kind of point the direction on your route. And there's also just solid color washi tape and also Hello Kitty washi tape and washi tape with little Christmas trees and all sorts of different patterns and designs, but just the fact that it removes without a residue is really helpful for marking up maps. And then it's really easy to write on with a pen or a pencil because it kind of has a matte finish as opposed to scotch tape. Washi tape is one of those things that I had never heard of in my entire life. It comes from the crafting and scrapbooking world. Most guys have probably never heard of this, but it's really useful stuff. It doesn't leave a residue, it doesn't stick too hard, so it sticks just enough to stay on, but then you can peel it back off. And yeah, lots of different patterns and colors are available. So washi is W-A-S-H-I, comes from the Japanese word. And even though I studied Japanese for like four years, I, I don't know what it means. <laughs> I think it means cute crafting tape. Probably. Aww. Actually, I think she is paper. Uh, I can't remember what wa is. Sticky. We'll go with that. Sticky paper. There's okay. my official expert opinion. If you are looking for a reason to bake a cake this week, September 26th is National Public Lands Day. We'll leave you with a little trail wisdom today from our good friend on the trail, Vincent Van Gogh. He said, Be clearly aware of the stars and infinity on high. Then life seems almost enchanted after all. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you liked this podcast, follow us on Facebook and Twitter or review us on iTunes. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. Airplanes always seem to coincide with my brain blanks. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, airplane. <laughs> I needed that time to think. Baby raccoons. Yeah, that would be cute. It's the full-sized ones that freak me out. Oh, okay. Baby ones are adorable. Are they? <laughs>